Amen. Jesus lives, and that's where our hope is. It's not just, it really is. It really is an actual historical event, but it's more than that. It's one on which we base all of our hope, all of our faith is based in the fact that Jesus lives, and the fact that we will live forever is only based on the fact that he died and lives forever to reign. And so for all who put their faith in him, we have the sure hope of eternal life with him. And so that's what we come to remember and to celebrate today. We worship a Jesus who lives. Now I recognize, uh, you'll notice in your bulletin, uh, go ahead, uh, if you got your bulletin, we don't have a full guide as we normally do on Sunday morning, but on the back of your bulletin, um, we just put the sermon notes page for this week. And so it's back there. That might be something that might be helpful for you as I walk through uh, the message this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at uh, the end of it, or not quite the end of it, but a part in the middle, I guess. We read the, from the beginning of it earlier in the worship service. And I recognize that as we, so far, what we've done is I've read the account of the resurrection of Jesus, and then we've sung about it. And, and I recognize that for many, you sit here and you're kind of thinking, well, I don't even know if I totally believe that. And it all seems kind of far-fetched, and why would someone stake their life, even their eternal life, on this being true? And so we're going to see that, I think, in a little bit in the passage that we look at today. There is something in us, though, I think, really probably in all of us, that we want to believe things that are seemingly unbelievable. You know what I'm talking about? We, there's something in us, like, we, we, we cheer for the underdog, right? We want to see things, like... Like we want to see, we watch the NCAA tournament because we want to see a 12 seed beat a 5 seed again. We, we want to see that. We, we root for the underdog. We want to see things happen that seem to be unbelievable or, yeah. So, so, so here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking today. We're going to go through John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. And sometimes, it's, sometimes I should say it's, it's, it's more serious than watching a game. But we we would like to believe even in more serious things. Um, We hear a diagnosis of cancer. And the diagnosis doesn't look good. There's no options for treatment. And so there's a few months or a few weeks or whatever. And that's what the diagnosis comes as. But there's something in us that wants to believe against the facts. That... But we want to believe that healing can still come. We want to believe that. And so, so, so I'm sure the disciples, right, the disciples having seen their Savior, their leader, their rabbi put to death on the cross, there's something in them that longed for a resurrection or something, something that, that other people might see as unbelievable. They longed for something like that to happen. But at the point that we come to in John chapter 20, that's not where they're at. They're really pretty discouraged. They're probably, they're, they're afraid. We find out that they've locked the doors because they're afraid that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them as well. Many, including a, a disciple named Thomas, find this fact of the resurrection of Jesus pretty unbelievable at first. There are some barriers to him believing the truth that Jesus still lives. But today we're going to look at and ask the question, what would happen if those barriers would be broken down? And what are the benefits of believing the truth about Jesus? 
We're going to do it by looking at this passage, like I said, in John's Gospel. And we're even going to look at a couple verses at the end of the passage where John tells us, this is why I wrote this down. And he wrote this, and his goal in writing this, he's pretty blunt. Um, most of, the, most of the, the writers in Scripture are. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit to write every word that they write. And they're pretty straightforward. And he says, well, let me just tell you, I'll be up front with you. Here's why I wrote this. I wrote these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And so if that's John's point in writing this, I'll just be blunt with you. In me standing in front of you this morning, that's my point too. I'm going to just try and preach these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life forever in His name. That's John's goal. That's my goal. I can't accomplish that. And so we're going to start by praying, and then I'm going to read God's Word. What we do when, when, I, when we read God's Word is we stand. And so if you're able to do that, go ahead and stand. I'll pray first, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, I am incapable of accomplishing what you desire to accomplish this morning. I pray that you would equip me to at least clearly and and compellingly proclaim the truth of your word. But I have no authority over the hearts and minds of any person in here, but you do. And so God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would help minds to be attentive, that you would help hearts to be soft, and that we would personally encounter the risen Savior as we read your word this morning. Make that happen for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from John chapter 20. I should, I know you're already standing, but I want you to be sure that you know uh, what we're getting into here, okay? So, so the passage that I read earlier where where the disciples came to find that Jesus had risen from the dead. A couple of them came after Mary Magdalene came. Well, right after that, John has been spending his whole gospel making sure we know who Jesus is. So he began at the beginning, Jesus is the eternal word of God, fully God and fully man, right? So, so that's where he started. And then he tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He told us, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So he's told us all these things, and then he gives us the account of the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, of his unfair trial, of his death on the cross for our sins, of his being buried and put in a tomb, a tomb that was sealed with a stone. And then we just read earlier that the stone had been rolled away and Jesus had been raised from the dead. Hard thing for a lot of people to believe all this stuff. Somebody's fully God and fully man, born of a virgin. That's hard to believe all that stuff. And now the disciples are encountered with this truth that Jesus lives. He's been raised from the dead. And so they've encountered this truth, but there was one person missing. One of the disciples was missing when Jesus showed up in the room that they were hanging out in. That disciple was named Thomas, and so we're going to read about him today. So this is John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. When Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
Well, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. But eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can be seated. So we're going to look first at some barriers to believing and then at some benefits of believing. We'll just walk through this verse by verse. Kind of a bummer if you're Thomas, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what he left for, but for a period of time he's out. And of course, at the time when he's out, that's the time when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes in through a locked door and shows up to all the disciples except for Thomas. He had gone out for some reason or another. It's a bummer to be Thomas. And now, we're going to see, we just read that Thomas had some doubts. He wanted to see stuff before he would believe it. Now, you can kind of like, oh, silly Thomas, but... The other disciples, they didn't believe it until they saw it either. If you went back to verse 20, you could look back in your Bible if you have it with you. In verse 20, it said this. This is when Jesus showed up to the other disciples, when Thomas wasn't there. It says, when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Oh, I lost my spot. When they saw the Lord. Right? So the other disciples, they had to see Jesus. Jesus had told them, I'm going to suffer and die, and three days later I'll rise again. They forgot about it. They didn't believe it, whatever. And when he showed up, they got to see him, and he said, look at, see my hands, and then they believed. Thomas wasn't there when that happened. He didn't get to have that experience. That's what we just read in verses 24 and 25. They tell him, but it's, it's just not the same if somebody just tells you, right? So Remember what it said in verse 24. It said, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. They, they just told him. But he said to them, Well, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. There's a pretty big barrier for Thomas, and the barrier for Thomas is, well, I didn't get to see what you guys saw. You all had this experience with the risen Savior. I didn't. So it's hard for me to believe what you guys believe. I, uh, like many other people, uh, during this NCAA basketball tournament, liked watching the University of Northern Iowa Panthers. Uh, it was fun to watch them win that game with a half-court buzzer beater. Kind of, oh, unbelievable. The guy 
that I listened to on the highlight. He said, oh, it's a miracle, right, that, 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 that he made this shot. So everybody thinks that's a pretty big deal, right? But then if you watch the next game with them, they blew a li- they were ahead by 12 points with 44 seconds left. And the announcers were talking, well, that means that Texas A&M's not going on to the Sweet 16. There will be no teams from the SEC in the Sweet 16. And they were talking about and they're saying he was mentioning all the Aggie fans, the, the fans for the other team that was behind by 12. Like, well, they're leaving. No number of fans are leaving now. Now, if you had been one of those fans who had left, and then you got a phone call from one of your buddies, and he was like, hey, dude, you should have stuck around. We won. You would have been like, no way. Because you didn't see it, right? You just heard it from somebody else. Well, yeah, we did. Like, well, you would wait. You'd get home, and you'd check it out on your smartphone or whatever you look stuff up on, and you would check, like, and you'd have to see it for yourself in order to believe it because a 12-point lead in 44 seconds isn't just something that happens right? So I was thinking about that and then thinking about this and thinking, you know, I get it. I get where Thomas is coming from. He wasn't there. They all got to see it. He didn't see it. It seems unbelievable that somebody who would be executed in the manner that Jesus was executed after being nailed to the cross and basically suffocating to death to be sure he was dead, a spear was poked into his side. His body was wrapped in linen cloths and laid in a tomb, sealed with a stone, guarded with guards. When his friends told him, well, yeah, he just showed up. We've seen the Lord. It's like, I'm not going not gonna to believe it till I see it. Right? So we understand where Thomas is coming from. Some of you, you're, you still stand with Thomas. Like, well, I get it because I have a hard time believing this too. I mean, the stuff that everybody believes. But I haven't had the same experience in life that all these other people have had. They're all these good church people. And all these good church people, they grew up believing this stuff. Their family told them this stuff. They've believed this stuff since they were really little. I don't have that experience. So unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe. Hey, I, I know this guy, and he believes all this stuff, but he went to this evangelistic meeting and heard a speaker, and his life changed, and everything changed in a moment. I've heard messages before. Lots of them, maybe. And God's never done a word. I've never felt anything. I haven't had that experience. And until I have an experience like these people have, then I'm never going to believe either. You probably can relate to Thomas more than you think. And I'm sure there's many in here that are. And of course, a lot of people would be skeptical. You start thinking of the claims that we make in the Christian faith, the claims that John made in his gospel. I mentioned them earlier. This claim... That Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always existed. But at a certain point in history, he was born of a virgin, took on human flesh. He was at the same time fully God and fully man. That he was sent by the Father and that he would die on a cross. And in doing so, he would be taking upon himself the sins of everybody in the world so that all who trust in him receive his perfect righteous record, because that's the other part that's a little hard to believe. He lived a perfectly sinless life. Yeah. And so for some of you, you hear all this stuff, and you're like, well, that just seems unbelievable. I find that hard to believe. And you are with Thomas at this point. Maybe you're not into supernatural stuff. You believe stuff that you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands. Thomas said, 
that unless that barrier is broken, he will never believe. And maybe that's what you're thinking too. So let's look at verse 26. We're going to see a barrier come down. Verse 26. Verse 26 said this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I want you to notice this. Thomas was with them. So, so notice, this, is, this has been a week now. They all believe that Jesus lives, and Thomas didn't believe that. But notice what's happening here. They didn't kick him out. They didn't say, well, you don't believe. You're skeptical. You got a lot of questions. You got a lot of doubt. Well, there's the door. This is for people who believe. No. And Thomas didn't say, well, you guys are all crazy. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm not coming back. No, they were hanging out together. Hopefully our church is a place like that where if you're skeptical, if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, that, we, that we're not pushing you away and hopefully you don't, you don't run away. You say, I want to hang out there. I want to hang out with you people longer and see if this stuff is really true. That's what Thomas was doing. It had been a week now and Thomas here is hanging out with the rest of the disciples. It says, the rest of verse 26, although the doors were locked, that's what had happened the first time too, they were scared for their lives. And so when they met together now, they locked the door. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Quite literally, Jesus can't be stopped by barriers, right? Doors locked. He didn't knock on it, and they didn't open it for him. He didn't get all Chuck Norris and kick it in. He just showed up, right? Barriers can't stop Jesus. And now I want you to notice what he does. Thomas is this one who had doubts. Now, when Thomas was expressing these doubts, Jesus wasn't there, right? The other disciple says, we've seen the Lord. Jesus wasn't there at the point. They said, we've seen the Lord. Thomas says specifically, until I see the marks of the nails in his hands and, and in his side, I will never believe. Now look at what Jesus does in verse 27. Verse 27 says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus speaks directly to the unbelief, to the doubts that Thomas was facing, to the questions that Thomas had. This is what Thomas wanted to see, and Jesus said, well, here it is. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so there are some applications in this for us, I think. One is just to remember, oh, how direct and how tender our Jesus is with unbelieving hearts. You may remember a time in your life when you were skeptical, when you had more questions than you did answers, and you were quite doubtful, and Jesus was patient with you. He brought along somebody who, who would talk about him directly and clearly. You opened up the Bible and you read about him. How tender and direct is Jesus here he comes in a room full of other disciples. He knows that Thomas is the one who needs to hear from him today. So he speaks directly to Thomas, directly to his disbelief. Some of you, like I mentioned, are like Thomas in that you have barriers. 
placed up. There's barriers between you and you putting your trust in Jesus. You just haven't crossed that line yet because you're just not sure. Maybe, maybe you only believe in stuff that you can touch and see. And this stuff about Jesus being raised from the dead seems too supernatural for you. But what if I told you that there were over 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after his resurrection, that some of them would be willing to be put to death for believing and sharing the news that he rose from the dead? Or maybe, maybe for you it's just more of a theological, ethical kind of thing. You're looking at it, you're like, you know what? I don't know this need for a Savior stuff. I don't know if that's really for me because I'm generally a really pretty good person relatively compared to most other people. I'm a good person. I try to live a good life and do good things to other people. What if I told you that all who trust in their own goodness will be sorely disappointed on the day of judgment when they stand before Christ and find that they have fallen short and that only those who trust in Christ will be saved? Or maybe the problem for you, maybe the reason that the barrier to your belief, the barrier for you putting your trust in Jesus is, I don't want to submit to anybody. I want to live life the way I want to live life. I want to do things the way I want to do things. I don't want to submit myself to some other Lord. What if I told you, though, that Jesus alone is worthy to be king and your reaction against him, your 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 response of not putting your faith in him and not submitting to him is an act of rebellion for which you will be punished. And what if you might look back at your life and say, okay, I get all this stuff about Jesus dying for sin, but there's stuff in my life that lots of people don't even know about. You live with all sorts of guilt and shame. What if I told you that what we sang earlier is truth, though, that Jesus paid it all, all of it. I have prayed leading up to this day that God would speak directly to those breaking through your barriers to give you a new heart to trust in Him. I got up here early this morning and I just walked up and down, not the last two aisles because they weren't existing this morning, but I walked up and down every other aisle. Didn't know, I knew where some of you were going to sit because you always sit in the same spot. Uh, But I didn't know who was going to be sitting where, but I just spent some time just walking through those aisles praying that hearts that have been hardened over time would be softened to this reality that Jesus lives and that he alone deserves to be worshipped as king forever. There's a couple more verses I want to look at here. Benefits of believing. We talked about the barriers to believing. We know that God can easily break those down. What are the benefits of believing, though? Let's look at verses 28 and 31. Benefit number one, believers have a Lord and God. I love verse 28. Look what happens. In verse 28, right after Jesus says, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. I'm guessing he had a smile on his face when he said this. Either that or tears were streaming out of his eyes or maybe both. But he looks at the one who had died on the cross for him. He thought all hope was gone and now here he stands right before him. And his response is only to say, my Lord and my God. He didn't just say, oh, I believe those things to be theologically and historically accurate. He said, you are my Lord and you are my God. It was a personal confession. This is who Jesus is. Yes, he is Lord of all. Yes, he is God over all. But he's saying this personally. You are my Lord. 
That means I will submit myself to you. You're the master and I'm the servant from this day on. You are my Lord. And he looks at me and says, you are my God. You are the one who is worthy of my worship. I will no longer worship any idols. Anything that I've put before you, I see it as worthless now compared to you. Is that a confession that you've made? Have you made that confession? Do you make that confession before Jesus? Is he just someone that, that, that is a historical figure that maybe we remember every once in a while? Or is he someone that you can look at him and you can say, he is my Lord and my God. Have you put your faith in Jesus? I, I plead with you to do that. That you would not disbelieve any longer, but believe. That you could pronounce with Thomas, He is my Lord and my God. You know what it says in Romans 10.9? In Romans 10.9 it says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, that some of us would walk out of here today, maybe for the first time, saying, Jesus is my Lord and my God. There's another benefit, verse 29. Verse 29 says this, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Great. You've believed now because you've seen me. But blessed, happy, joy-filled are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. I would have loved to be Thomas. I would have loved to be Peter and John. To have, to have eyewitness evidence of the fact that Jesus lives. They could touch him. They got to eat a meal with him. That would have been great. Not many people got to do that. I mean, a lot, over 500 but none of us sitting in here today got to. I would have loved to be one of them. But we're not. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We're those who haven't seen, right? But some of us believe. Here's what Peter would say. Peter was another eyewitness. And later he would write to a group of people who were not eyewitnesses of all of this. And he wrote to them in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he said. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you, here's what, here's what we do. Those of us who, we haven't seen him, but we believe in him. We trust him. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory as we obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. There, there's a lot of stuff. Listen, there's a lot of stuff I don't get. I'm not saying like, okay, come here, we have all the, there's a lot of stuff I don't get. We're going to do a whole series for the next four months in the book of Ecclesiastes. Come back for that. If you're somebody with a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, it's going to be a perfect series for you to come on Sunday mornings and hear from, right? I don't, there's a lot of stuff I've got to figure out yet. A lot of things in life that I wish were different than they are. Life is hard sometimes. It's tough. But I do feel blessed. I do feel joy. A joy that I wish I could express better than I do. But Peter says it's an inexpressible joy. Those of us who do not see him, yet we love him. We have not seen him. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. That we are filled and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible 
as we obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Joy comes when we trust in Jesus. There's a lot of other stuff that you think is going to bring you joy. Maybe you've been chasing that your whole life, all sorts of stuff. This relationship, this is going to be the one that's going to bring me joy. This job is going to be the one that brings me joy. This whatever, this, this, this house, this car, this whatever, it's going to bring the joy that is inexpressible, the joy that lasts eternally is the joy that we find when we who have not yet seen Jesus trust in him, knowing that we will one day see him face to face and worship him because he's worthy. I'm going to end with these two verses. The last two verses are this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. You got questions about, don't you wonder, somebody just asked me recently about Jesus' childhood. You, we probably have questions. Why doesn't the Bible say much at all about his childhood? We got one account when he was 12. That's it. I want to know some stuff about Jesus' childhood. I want to know what Jesus looked like before his death and then in his resurrection body. What did he look like? The Bible doesn't tell us that. There's a lot of stuff we want to know. But John says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Like, I didn't write down everything. Yeah, I'm sure you do have questions. Great. I didn't write down everything. But John was pretty specific about a few things. I mentioned them already. That John was very specific about saying that Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. He is God in human flesh. He is the one whom the Father sent because he so loved the world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All these things are said in John's gospel. And why? Why are they said, why, why are we doing this? Why did we just spend a half hour looking at a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Why did we cook sausages and eat pancakes and get all dressed up cute? And why do we come back and do it every Sunday? Why, why do we do all this stuff? Why did John write this gospel, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's, that's really my hope. That's what I've been praying about today is that we would walk out of here, maybe even with more people than walked in here, having life forever in His name. Right? Or at least, or at least that there would be some sort of stirring going on in your mind, and your heart. You're curious, and maybe you're like Thomas after hearing this declared when they said, well, we've seen the Lord. He lives and maybe you're like Thomas, like, well, I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to stick around for a while. I'm going to keep coming back until Jesus shows up. And at some point, our hope is that you will respond as Thomas responded by saying, He is my Lord and He is my God. That's what I want to happen. Jesus is worthy of celebrating. We worship and serve a risen Savior, and so it was worth getting dressed up. It was worth giving up an hour and 15 minutes to come and to sing His praises, to be reminded again of what is said in His Word. He's worthy of talking about it when you get home a little bit more, eating some jelly beans and 
ham or whatever you're going to do, but talking about Jesus around the table as well. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of coming back again next week. We're not sure which Sunday he rose from the dead on, so we just get together on every Sunday, and we worship him. That's what we do. If you're somebody who's just, you're wrestling with questions, you, you want, you, maybe it's just, you're just wrestling with life and you're struggling, you want somebody to pray with you, we've done for the last number of weeks now, we have an elder and his wife that we have in the room that's right down here, this first room here. So Ron and Linda Allen will be in there today if you want to go and just wrestle a little more with some of this stuff, want to talk more about it, want to just say, hey, I've got this going on in my life, would you pray for me? They'll be down there to do that, so I encourage you to do that. I'm going to close in prayer, and while I'm doing that, the worship team will come up, and we're going to close by singing that song they sang at the beginning. We're going to sing that together. So let's pray. Father, sometimes we, we just need to face reality. And, and, and when we face reality, like we did when we came here on Friday, that sin is, is prevalent in the world, that death is inescapable. But thank you that death is not necessarily the end. Thank you that Jesus came and he died and he trampled over death by dying. He gave victory to sin over sin and death. Give victory over sin and death by rising from the dead. And as we sang before, I pray that it would be something that we could state as we go out of here. I no longer fear the grave. Christ has come. He took the sting of death away by His saving blood. And though my body fails and my flesh grows weak, Till my final breath to this hope I'll cling, that Jesus lives, and so shall I. Thank you that we can know and worship a Savior who lives. And thank you for the hope that that gives us. That in our weak and sinful bodies, that there is hope because there is an answer. There is a Savior for all who believe that we will live forever with Him. We long for that. Help us to go out of here, maybe even more than we did coming in, delighting in Jesus, celebrating that he lives. In his name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing together.